Oh, we're live, Nancy. Right, welcome back to Success Story. Nancy, how are you? Good, thank you, Colin. I caught you by surprise there, didn't I? You did. So today I'm going to introduce Nancy and everyone else to our podcast guest, um, Steve Booth. And so I did that thing, didn't I, where I said this isn't going to be on the recording, and it is on the recording, because in terms of podcasting, I never tell the truth. I always tell the truth in other things, but I never tell the truth here. But one of Nancy's main roles today as she produces the podcast and is now has now gone into the co-host situation. Like I remember um, Chris Moyles on Radio 1 had the guy who did the sport. I can't remember his name now. And he like ended up being the co-host because he was dead good. And Nancy's going to take over the podcast and then I'll choke you. It was Chappers, wasn't it? Was it? Chappers, He's yeah. now on Five Live. Yeah, he made it big. And and you, but in your, this what happened is then now I'm just going to be cast asunder and you're going to like run the whole clinic because you're going to do the podcast. Absolutely. But I'm going to introduce you to Steve Booth, but the main, uh, your main job is to stop me doing this. Because we've realised I do that a lot. <laughs> I'll do that again. So I have to, I'm really sorry for the smacking in the previous episodes. So I do try to cut it out. It is, yeah, <laughs> but it's, 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 it's insipid. Now, I'm going to introduce you to Steve, okay? So you don't know Steve so well, but I have known Steve for 25 years. And the reason that Steve is on the podcast in an interview is because he embodies everything that we've talked about in terms of desirable difficulty and disagreeability. And going forwards, his story is one which will sort of weave its way through the next two episodes of disagreeability. As we build, what I hope, or we hope, Nancy, will be this body of work. Yeah? Yeah. So when we get to the end of episode eight, or even if we decide it's episode 10, we'll see at the end of this year, it will basically become this album like vinyl album that you have to play from start to finish. Yeah, that's yeah, what we're planning on. Yeah, absolutely. And Steve's story is really, really critical amongst that. So well, there's two ap- two parts to this story with Steve. The first part is the bit where I'm asking him about job interviews. And the second part is the bit about the superpower that he has, which made him the person that he is professionally. So Steve Booth is the managing director of Strowman UK. But he also has recently um, accepted a new job where he's in charge of Western Europe for Strowman in terms of sales for Strowman, which is a huge position. It's massive. Um, But Steve has a really particular story to tell about this and how he got that position and how he is atypical and disagreeable and has a difficulty which is desirable. And so it sets the scene again here in real life for a real life person um, to tell you this story, to try and validate what we're talking about. And um, the interesting thing about, about this is that, that back in 2020, Steve sat round about right here where you are, Nancy, right? And he was up for a business course. It was February 2020. So if you remember back to then, mm-hmm. you weren't here working. Don't know no. what you were doing, right? Trying to get home from somewhere abroad. I was trying to get home from Bali, yeah. You were, right? Yeah. In the middle of the crisis of the pandemic. And Steve sat here and said to me, this is going to be bad news, you know, this is going to really affect all our lives. And I was going, oh, no, it won't, Steve. And um, and he was right, because I did one of those little smacks there, didn't I? And, um, and so as we go back through this, you're going to just get a feel for Steve's position, what his job is. And then in the, the second part of this, we're going to sort of unveil his superpower, which will then start to become something that we're going to talk about in the next couple of episodes, which is... Three years after the February 2020, when we were met in here and you told me that the pandemic was going to shut us down and I didn't believe you. <laughs> and then three weeks later. <laughs> so I was, be, I was being, um, I wasn't being disagreeable and I was being entirely naive then. Or just, I think I was probably in the middle of any number of 
denial strategies to, that I wasn't going to lose my house and I wasn't going to lose my practice. And you under a lot of stress at that time. So, right. so what we're going to do today is just try and touch base on a couple of, just a stupid couple of things, right? So so I would like you to ask you some questions um, around this and I'll explain the disagreeability bit in a minute. But the first topic is job interviews. So Nancy, um, we interviewed you about job interviews, didn't we? You did, yeah. You remember? Yeah. And that's not been illegally. Released... <laughs> oh, was it? I don't know if it's illegally. <laughs> the recording of it. <laughs> is, that, is that does that count as illegal? <laughs> Goodness, that's terrible. And um, but we've not released that to the world yet. No, no, yeah. So that will be released next episode. Yeah. Yeah. The okay. Job interview stuff. But we're going to speak to Steve about job interviews first, because we need to set the scene. Um, on kind of what happens in job interviews um, in big business. Yeah. So like formulaic job interviews and how that applies. Because it depends on where you've had your job interviews. We have to do some, we do some mock interviews at school, the school where my kids go and where I was until recently a governor. And we have this really formulaic interview to teach people how to get through an interview. But we have this feeling here, well, I have this feeling that interviews could be different and that that might relate to the mentality of the people who are in charge of interviewing you, which is, ties in with, desirable difficulty and disagreeability. So let's listen to Steve's thoughts on sort of um, his job interview history, I think. At this point, it's probably worth pointing out that I've known Steve for 25 years and we grew up together in implant dentistry since he was a a rep for Strowman. Strowman had three area reps in the UK and Steve was one of them for the west side of the country and I was just starting my implant career. And, And I remember like drunkly walking through a city centre with Steve with their arms around each other singing songs. Um, but that means that I've got this long-term relationship with Steve, but Steve sits in this really high-powered position. And guys like that, they don't they don't go for interviews on podcasts with people like me because they're edgy unless they're people like Steve. And so I think as we start to hear Steve's um, views about his work and his job interviews, you'll start to get a picture of the top person he is. Okay. Yep. So... Tell me about your weirdest job interview. Oh, that I've had or that I've been involved in? Can you do me in? both of those? Can you do me the first one that you've had? It's really hard for me to talk about job interviews because I've been with the company for 25 years. So but but you've just got a new happen. job. I, I did an interview for that. You didn't? No. Now that's what I'm interested in. I did an interview for that job. Right, so how does that work? Okay, point of order here. So Steve works for a $2.6 billion international corporation and he's been given this massive area manager's job in um, in Western Europe and he didn't have an interview. Um, so hold that thought as we go through these next few episodes because that's quite interesting. Um, I was asked to do the job um, and... Uh, we discussed about what was needed and that I'll... The, the company thought that I was the right person to do it. What we have discussed many times before is about the skills that I have, the progression that I want, what works, what doesn't work for me, whether I want to move internationally, whether I didn't want to move internationally. So Nancy, he got this massive promotion at his job without being interviewed for the position or without the position being advertised because because the people that were in charge of giving him that knew who he was mm-hmm. and they knew him. And so that is important as we talk about the job interview thing and we go into the next episodes because um, 
that's that's not uh, that's actually not legal really well you know it's a bit weird because usually in the uk you have to like like advertise jobs and it has to be wide open and all that kind of stuff but in a lot of cases it seems to people that the person that they know and trust is the best person to put into the job i haven't had a job interview i've had an assessment center which was in zurich right with an external company um about five years ago right okay which was really interesting yeah is it all your psychometrics psychometrics uh business cases presenting to the board um and also one-to-one conversations with individuals, which I found really insightful. So that was very helpful for me. I think I was out of my depth at the time. Um, and my style of leadership does not do very well in interviews. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, so at that sort of level, they're looking very much for drivers and uh, strategical thinkers that can implement things whereas my style of leadership is far more about getting people yeah and having people to do that and the people engagement so actually at a higher corporate level a really inclusive people leadership style of management is talked that it's wanted but actually the people who get those jobs tend to normally be mm. the, the the real hard drivers so what happened to Steve was when he was in the middle of his career with Strowman, he was picked out as a potential bright prospect and he was taken to Zurich and, and given this assessment centre process. And they found out what he was, what they felt he was like as an individual. And they, I think they felt he had a lot of empathy and a lot of emotional intelligence, but at the top of corporate Strowman at that time and the way it was growing and pushing, that's not what they wanted. But recently he was called helicoptered into Western Europe because it, that whole corporate environment had fallen apart. And without giving too much away, and I don't know too much about it, I think it was just like dog-eat-dog, terrible, nobody looking out for each other. And at that stage, they have to bring in the person with the emotional intelligence. And they don't even interview for that. They don't go and test them again, or they don't, even it's different people. They go, we need somebody who can bring a team together. And so I think that we have situations where we instinctively pick people for jobs and different types of personalities instinctively pick people for jobs in specific ways. And so the old formulate way of saying everybody's equal and everybody gets the best chance and everybody does this or that, it, it doesn't work. Um, and it often doesn't work. And so if we appoint people in a formulate way, we're liable to get into difficulties or problems. But I think that people are scared to do that apart from the guys who are disagreeable. And I think the disagreeable guys, the guys who've come through desirable difficulty, tend to appoint people in different ways. And that's what happened to Steve, and that's how Steve would instinctively appoint. So if you if you spent a lot of money assessing somebody for a high level in the corporate environment and appointed them, and then they were gone in a short period of time afterwards, that's not a success, is it? No, and, and I've, rather than talking about others, I'll talk about my own experiences. I've failed with that. I've I've made I've employed people that at the time of interview you feel is right, and and I've never employed somebody that was not intelligent that did not have capability. But the ones that I've employed that I've struggled most with is where culturally it's not right, the, the, and it's very difficult to measure that in an interview. You you can measure. Academic capability, it's very difficult to measure emotional intelligence in interviews unless you go down more of the um, 
we use uh, working psychologists to help us with that now. So that what I want to see at in an interview is the truth about the person. Mm-hmm. And does the person know themselves? And is the person vulnerable enough to tell us what is good, but also what is bad? And that that's the I think that's the real skill you need to get in an interview. How often is that successful in percentage terms? If you have a robust process, I would say it's quite high. So I've watched this because I've worked with Simon for 25 years and I've seen some people at high level come in and and not be right and and disappear quite quickly. And I've seen that quite often. And Steve talks about the fact that he thinks there is a decent success rate at Stroman and would go on to talk about that in the interview. And he talks about working with a, a psychologist, a working psychologist to try to get that right and to try to find out the truth of people. But I think there's something else going on here. I'm pretty sure there is. And I think that people who have um, certain aspects of character traits who have come through this disagreeability and, and, and desirable difficulty situation that I keep describing and discussing where they've had to build a different scaffold, where they've had to look at people differently, where they've had to sit in a classroom in, 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 in different circumstances to everybody else and where they've had to learn to listen before they speak, I think they end up being better judges of that, of truth, of that person's personality and character. And I think they can go quite quick and they don't have to talk about their previous work experience when they were a 13 year old being a paper boy, but they can just, or how many GCSEs they've got or what the project was like at A-level geography. I think they're more likely to talk to the patient and say, what's your favorite film? And I think when the patient or the person or the individual they're speaking to starts to tell them about their favorite film, they can get a total slice of that person's personality. It's hard for people to accept um, who interview a lot of the time that to go away from this formula um, of how we interview people um, might give you more success or a different outcome. And so you can test that as we've looked at with job interviews as I've been kind of um, exploring this whole concept and researching it. Um, you, you can, you can, challenge people's conventions on this by talking to them about random selection and there is some really good stuff on random selection which is is, which was kind of described as being the pinball lottery and so what i try to do is i try to put that to steve in the interview and say look why don't you think about random selection and so this is my discussion with them about how we how we might just decide to put people's names in a hat and pick them out randomly to give them the job because the other process is so random anyway because we're not actually making a proper selection there is a school of thought right or wrong um, that the best way to appoint people in circumstances like this is to set a level an application level whether it be qualifications or experience or or whatever and then invite applications and then pick one out of a hat because um, the ability to uncover the things that you really want to uncover even through almost all appointment processes is impossible to do so. So you have to get the patient, the patient, the, the individual into position to see it. And so that, that comes from, um, there's, there's a move to, in democracy, this is actually in Bolivia, but to appoint people to democratic positions in schools to start with by a lottery. Because what happens in that position is when you ask people to join school council, some people don't want to stand up in front of the school and make a speech about themselves. Some people don't want to do what the application process requires, but they do want to be involved. And when you give them the opportunity to be involved without having to do those 
preliminary things, they excel for reasons that they wouldn't normally you wouldn't normally have in that group. It's also a fantastic way to eliminate any appointment bias. Anything you can do to to help that is going to be powerful. A, a good process makes the likelihood of getting a better outcome. I would still say there's a huge impact of the culture and the leadership style that is going to be leading that person that would have a huge impact on what they're going to do as well. What about someone at the lower level in the organisation? Say you were appointing, I don't I don't really know what you consider to be the baseline level in Shrimming Group UK, but let's say, let's say you were bringing in, you had to bring in five new territory managers. Yes. And you had um, 30 applicants. How would you filter them? Uh, how would we filter them? It would start on... It would start on skills, knowledge, and then the interview process would drill far more into their ability to learn and change, their ability to adapt, that and, openness to learn. And how successful is that process on percentage terms? Just, I'm, I know this is absolutely ethereal nonsense, I, but I, I, I couldn't tell you. Percentage terms? How many of them are still in post after the year? Uh, half of them? More than that. More than half? More than that, yeah. So I remember a story from years ago. It was in Chris Evans, who was the DJ and the guy who used to host TGI Friday, and he was on Radio 1 Breakfast Show, etc. Um, and Radio 2. Who, who um, He was on a plane um, in, in first class, and Richard Branson must have been a virgin plane, and Richard Branson was on it. And Richard Branson um, had started to chat to him and they had a bottle of champagne and then Richard Branson offered him a job as a DJ in Virgin Radio and they managed to get Chris Evans to say yes and then wrote down the outline of a contract and agreement on a napkin and made him sign it. And Richard Branson is like the consummate entrepreneur. He is the ultimate entrepreneur. And that's how entrepreneurs appoint people in positions of significance in their business. So they didn't put Chris Evans through an assessment centre and they didn't um, check his psychometrics and they didn't test him for cultural fit. He just said, I understand that I want that guy for my organisation and I get it. And then he wrote his contract on a napkin on an aeroplane and made him sign it. And, And that was so successful that Branson ended up selling Virgin Radio to Chris Evans for 80 million. Um... And and so my point here is that Steve has a process that he's going through um, because he has to, because he's corporate, but he doesn't want to. And he's trying to justify the process in his mind and he's saying that's pretty successful and this is how we do it and how we don't do it. But it doesn't actually fit Steve's character to do that because Steve's method of appointment, I think, would work a lot better if the company were able to just take away the guardrails and let him do it the way that he would do it best, because what Steve Booth understands is how to build a team. So, Nancy, are you still here? I'm still here, yeah. Because I'm doing a lot of talking this time, right? Because <laughs> the interview ones it's I tend time. to, but <laughs> but the interview ones I tend to do more talking, and then the then the yeah. next one will do less. But this is where you're going to come in now, because with your permission, even though you said it was illegal, I'd like to play your little clip of you. In your job interview, so can we? Can you work your technical magic and put that into this section? I can. I'll pop it in next. So it's like I did with Millie, right? <laughs> I'll start turning it on in a minute. 
and um, you just have to talk naturally. So shall we rehearse a little bit? Yeah. Right. Uh, mm, I don't know. Maybe we'll just, let's just start talking for a minute. Maybe we we'll just record just in case it's God. No, no, we'll just start. We'll, just, we'll talk a minute because all we're going to talk about is um, well, what, what do you do? For, what, what's your job? Yeah. What's your job title? Digital content manager. Digital content manager? How old are you? 27. 27? No. Oh, no, I'm 27 in a month. 27 in a month. You're 26 in a month. So you struggled a bit with your age. And yeah. That one, so there, but you generally how old I am. Right, okay. And how long have you worked here? <clears throat> It'd be two years this month. Jesus Christ. Two years. A fast progression through the ranks, isn't it? Very fast. Right, okay. And see the job you're doing now? Is that the job you thought you would be doing? No. No? What job did you think you would be doing? What, here or any job? Both. First of all, here. No. So what did I don't you... know. I think I, I don't know. So why did you come? I just liked because <laughs> you were desperate. I needed a job. No, I um, no. I, honestly, I genuinely actually really liked um so the ethos even of the building the uh, the company. Right. Like when you told me to go look on our website, see what we're about, see if you liked us, I immediately did, and. To be honest, when I was first sat in the chair with you, I think it was, was it Laura that was with us? I think yeah, it was, it was. Yeah, it was. First time and she was still doing that, yeah. I remember thinking, God, this place is amazing. And you asked me, can we just record this now? I'm going to record it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Nancy. I, I am such a dick. Right. <laughs> but I would never have got you to speak into the microphone if I had... And then all of a sudden you were dead confident and you thought, well, let's just... Well, it's fine. Just record it then. <laughs> just record it then and we've been recording for those minutes. So so never say yes. If anybody who's listening there and if I ever ask you to do a podcast, I'm, for the for the purposes of, of this exercise, I'm always recording. <laughs> right? And I always assume I have your consent. But what we want to talk about here is is the story behind how you came to work here. Because mm-hmm. it's a different story to how Steve's talking about with assessment centres and things like that. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm categorising myself in the category of disagreeable people who have a, overcome a desirable difficulty, which is why we did the ADHD test, Yeah. which is why this is a body of work, because you had to listen to that episode before you got to this episode that it won't make any fucking sense. Mm-hmm. Right? So let's go back into how you got the job, because we we recorded this, I think, last year, or certainly early this year. No, it was, it was probably a month in before February. Your birthday. February, right. Okay. So we recorded this in February, you're now 27. <laughs> let's go back to you. <laughs> I think that probably breaks laws and things. <laughs> Um, which is by demonstrating what we're at, this podcast is all about. We'll keep that bit, right? Oh, okay. you, you, let's, for legal legal reasons, say you can you, you can withdraw your consent for this at any point. Well, I'm editing it, so I can... You can't, you are, that's true enough. It's going nowhere unless you touch it. That is true, right? Um, no, to be honest, I did. I just remember thinking, what a fantastic place this is, and everything you were... I mean, obviously, we were talking dental base, and you asked me, what do I do? And at that point, I just got back from travelling. Yeah. Um, it was in that weird lockdown time. I'd just come out of it. Um, I was unemployed. I was looking for jobs. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, just anything. But it it was, before you even said anything, it was really weird. I did have a feeling that this would be a nice place to work. But to me, I didn't know you had a marketing team or anything I would fit into. To me, I was unqualified to work here, but... With the amount of dental work that I've had over the years, from a very young age, I've um I've always joked about being a dental nurse, and maybe that's and maybe so, that's a career path I should so, do. So what? So could you see yourself doing this type of work for a long time? 
Yeah, I love it. So the point of this little snippet is to ask you about how you got the job. Mm-hmm. Is to get your recollection of the, pro- the recruitment process. Yeah. So tell tell the tell the tell the good viewers that you're going to the listeners that you're going to edit this for how how that came about. Well, if you're happy to share. What? How I got the job? Yeah. How did that go about? Because everybody who um, listens to this thinks that you so, ad- you, that you you know that we put out a glossy advert on Indeed and you. No, there was no advert. There was no job opening. It was just you and I chatting in our options meeting which was your 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 treatment options yeah my treating my treatment options meeting when i came back to see you to see you were with your dad dad, yeah brought my dad with me and um we sat and we chatted about what you could do and whatnot and you asked me what my favorite film was all right did i I have no recollection of that you um no hang on let's go back a bit you asked me um you brought up that I was a traveller again. You put me down as a traveller. Mm-hmm. as my occupation. So, like, part of the travelling community? As in part of the travelling community. <laughs> okay. Right. I didn't really do that. No. <laughs> you did actually put me down as a traveller. Yes. But you a, meant a world traveller. Yes. <laughs> world Let's traveler. get that clear. Not <laughs> not, not, not a wife of, of the Box <laughs> of Fury or anything like that. No, my surname's McGuigan as well. Yes, so of course. Yes, yes. Because you, oh, you did tarmac a driver, <laughs> didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Sharpen our shields. Um, no, yeah. You asked me, am I interested in digital marketing? Was your question. And I said, it's not something I've ever thought about, but I would be. At the time, I was open to anything. I've always, I'm like that anyway, I always have been. And then you asked me my favourite film. Right. What was the answer? And I couldn't answer it. It was, I listed a few films that I enjoy and I couldn't, I think that's such a hard question to answer your favourite film. What were the ones you listed? Um, oh God, I can't remember now. And um, then? I think my dad brought up Bridesmaids because it was right, a film yeah, I yeah, watched I on repeat right, when I, I was younger. Loved it. And? Can quote it. Do you know how many other people we interviewed for your job? I don't actually. Oh, no. How many? You can tell none, me. You just no, 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 no. No, yeah, you told me to go look you, look you up and like the, the Campbell Clinic up and get in touch with you. I literally went home that night straight on the website, read. So that's the that, that's the most interesting bit away. because I have done that to people. I met a guy in recently in uh, PC World, right? Curry's, Curry's. Mm-hmm. I had to take a Nintendo Switch back that broke at Christmas or something. Yeah. And he just finished university at Sheffield Hallam doing business. And he, um, he's, he's on the management training programme for, yeah. for, for Curry's. And um, he was so switched on. He's such a good guy, right? And I said to him, you, you know, you should check us out. And he was like, oh, right, whatever. And well, he hasn't. But he's the type of guy that if he had come and sat here, it probably yeah. work here. Yeah. yeah. Probably work here. But that that's that's beautiful. That's everything we need. All right? Okay. All right, thank you. Cheers. <laughs> so I realise at the moment this podcast is all over the place, but you have to bear with me as we bring this together because it runs over a couple of episodes. So Nancy was appointed just because she came in as a patient to the practice and I thought she looked like a marketing executive, which I know is weird. But then I wanted to take this back to Steve And I wanted to say to Steve, do you think you lose more people than normal because you go about your your, your interviewing process in a way that doesn't suit you, in a way that's very corporate, in a way that's very rigid? So then I wanted to talk to him about how many people he loses and how that works out in his whole interviewing process. Uh, We have 
our our um, attrition rate at the moment is about eight and a half nine percent. And the size of the organisation that's that's quite low yeah, for yeah. an attrition rate. Yeah, too low. Some might say. Uh, it could well be. Yeah, could well <laughs> be too low. Um, I think that's part of of growing as well because you're always taking people on and having more opportunities for people to yeah. go to. We would much rather develop within yeah. and develop people that you're with a mindset yeah, so yeah. that we don't have to go out. So at the moment, I, I, I challenge the team, and I, just as we've done on the course here, I've challenged the people on the delegates here to think about where's the end in mind. Yeah. Start with the end in mind and then work towards that in sequential steps. But you've got to start with the end in mind. So the first question I ask quite a lot of my staff, and even somebody new coming in, he's saying, look back at 60 and what would success be for you in your career? Yeah. When do you want to retire? How do you want to do that? And then start working back from there. Because then you start moving towards the end rather than just shooting around into different jobs yeah. because the opportunities arrive. So I think as an organization, when we're looking at the growth that we have to do, it's our responsibility to show people the pathways that they can go on, but also challenge them to think about what their futures are. So the most important thing for me in new staff is not is not what they've done in the past. It's what ability do they have to stretch and to learn and to, to be self-aware for the future. Now, if you've got those... You can always give those people skills, but they've got the right mindset that you need to be able to grow. Haley and I used to Haley and I used to have like a running total about how many clangers we'd appointed. Yeah. Um, you know, and somebody left at short notice or for whatever reason, then we would score each other, you know, that's two one now or two two. Because we found that and we have we we're not a corporation, obviously, but we found that at times through interview process you think you've you know you think you've done the right thing and you think and then all of a sudden and 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 I don't have a percentage for what we do but it's just interesting the concept of the fact that it's a lot cheaper and quicker and and less onerous to take a cohort of people and just appoint by random they they, they I I only do this because we go back yeah, yeah. to it, it was it's it's called the pinball lottery uh, and um in democracy and it's been studied in Bolivia. And it's changing the attitudes to democracy in Bolivia, because um, that's why they started in schools. And it, it was taken by Malcolm Gladwell to a prep school, a, a, a big prep school for Princeton or Stanford University, and he took a load of these students and he asked them if they would integrate that into the school council stuff. And then they, initially they said, no, we wouldn't do this by random. But when he explained the concept and the advantages of the concept and then said to them, if we did this in our own democratic circumstances, um, at the highest level in America, how many women presidents would we have had in the last fifty years, and how many, how many presidents from ethnic minorities? And the the thing about it is, is that the thing that makes you good at interview is not always the thing that makes you good at your job. Yeah. And people, we lose people because they don't interview well, um, who may otherwise have been really good candidates. And and I I have seen classic examples of that um my best friend is a head and neck surgeon one of my best friends is a head and neck surgeon and he's a genius he's brilliant and he's the most wonderful healthcare professional he's the worst interviewer you've ever seen yes. and his career was blighted by the fact that he would turn up for an interview and he wasn't bullish enough to be a maxillofacial surgeon I, well I, I think if 
I, I go back to that assessment centre yeah. in Zurich. You know, I, I didn't hit the boxes. I didn't do what they needed. It doesn't mean that I was a bad leader. Yeah. It just means that I wasn't what was required providing yeah. what they needed yeah. in that or assessment centre. What, they thought they, what they thought they needed in that assessment centre. Yeah. So that's where I'll come back to. Lots of recruitment is done on academic yeah. qualifications and on achievements. Whereas for me, the most important part is the emotional intelligence of the person. Yeah. Does the person really understand who they are? Are they vulnerable enough to talk to you about it? Because I'm far more interested in those people because those people are open to learn and to develop with you than somebody who is the finished article. So we would, that's where the site, that, that's where the working psychologist comes in because he's not looking at abilities, looking at intellectual horsepower. Mm-hmm. So they have the horsepower to do what you need, but then do they really understand themselves? Do yeah. they really know who they are? Do they know what they want to be? Do they know about their weaknesses? So that is really interesting, um, what Steve is saying there. So Nancy, you're still here, Nancy. We've, I'm still we've here. definitely not recorded this over two different sessions. No, or, we're no, still here. We're exactly the same, same place, same, same clothes. Place, same yeah. clothes. Now, so Steve is saying that what he's interested in is, is is finding out if people really know who they are or or know what they want to be or, or do they know about their weaknesses. Um, so did I ask you any of that when we interviewed you? Or if I knew any of my weaknesses. Or I knew if you knew where you were or I knew what you wanted to be. Yeah. Did I? Yeah, you asked me. Do I, know, I think you asked me, do I know what I want to be? No, I don't think so. I think I might have asked you if you wanted to work in marketing. You asked me, are you interested in digital marketing? Yeah. yeah. But I think that what Steve does when he's interviewing people, regardless of the... Um, the structure that he uses to fit in with his corporate environment is he uses skills that not everybody has to dig down and to see whether people are the people he wants them to be or needs them to be for the organization. And I think he's able to do that just by talking to people normally um, and asking them simple questions and then working off the cues that he gets from them. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so... I think Steve's able to do that because he has um, a separate set of skills that he has developed that not everybody is able to develop. And I believe that Steve was able to develop that due to circumstances that he found himself in. Um, and it's really important that I believe that I have to believe it and um, for, for what you'll see it comes next. And, and I think that that's the desirable difficulty that Steve encountered. I think he encountered a significant difficulty um, in his young life, which made it possible for him to develop a set of skills, which now makes it much easier for him to see exactly who people are because he looks at people differently than the way other people look at at, at, at people. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. The reason I wanted to interview Steve for the podcast um, was not because he's really got this high-powered job title um, for Strowman, not, not because of that specific reason, it's how he got to get to there. And, but because I see, I think, similarities between Steve and me. And I wanted to explore with Steve whether what I suspected about those similarities were true. And so that's what ties back into the ADHD screener at the start. And Nancy laughing at me for um, all my all my shortcomings. <laughs> yeah. Hey. And, but also interviewing 
uh, dropping the thing in about how we interviewed Nancy and then looking at how Steve says he interviews people, but then looking uh, at what he wants from an interview, which doesn't quite add up to the way that he has to interview people. So with that in mind, I'm going to let you listen to another little snippet of somebody who's really fundamental and critical to the success of our practice and how they um, ended up getting the job here. So this is Hayley Brown that I'm speaking to. And it's January of 2023, and we're sat in a, a bar restaurant um, at lunchtime-ish on a Wednesday. It's during my sabbatical where I have the time off the practice. And and in 2023, I spent the time on sort of development stuff, and Haley and I would meet once a week. And as I usually do, which is becoming absolutely apparent on the podcast, is I just gamed her into speaking to me at that point on my portable recorder and promised her that <laughs> I would cut half of it out. Remember, Nancy? I think I probably did that to you. you. Did that to yeah, me, at yeah. some point, I'm going to be arrested for this, aren't I? Is it voyeurism as a law? I can't remember, right? Um, and so Haley will talk in here about Grangewood. That's a practice that we we worked at together, and Kirk Hallam I talk about, which is the practice I was working at, which were sold in 2008 to a, a large corporate by the principals and I left immediately. And Haley subsequently came to work with me at the new practice I was at in 2009. Um, and I think it's safe to say that Haley has been this, this, the single most important appointment to our business. Uh, so an absolutely key appointment to our business. I, I don't think we would be anywhere near where we are had Haley not been appointed. But when Haley um, came for interview, my plan was to not appoint her because her absence record was, was really quite bad at the previous practice. And I had been kind of encouraged to talk to her by by another member of the team, Lynn, who was at the practice. And so I was kind of I was kind of showing around. But what I want to show you in this is is this interviewing someone not based on their skill set, not based on their C V, not based on the standard HR format that we would have. And it and it's worth saying now that Haley has become someone who is more of an expert in human resources and, and dental practice management and dental business than anyone I have ever met. But this is kind of how the conversation went in January, just to demonstrate the point. So it's recording. No, 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 I don't. I want to talk about that, but, but yeah. it, it might, this might not record in here oh, right. with the noise in the background, so we probably won't be able to use it. Okay? And I'll take my jacket off now because it's kind of a bit warm, isn't it? So, so, um, and I don't, and I, because you listened to some of the Radwell ones, didn't you? Yeah, I did. So I don't have to introduce yeah. you and say who we are because I'm going to do that as a voiceover, yeah. aren't I? Yeah, yeah. So we, I'm just going to I'm just going to crop a bit of this conversation okay. if it's of any use, right? Because yeah. he did a podcast about you. You have I don't know if I got you to listen to it about how he interviews. Yeah, I did. Yeah, right. So yeah. so this is what this is. This is what this is because I interview the same, don't I? You do. Right. Okay. So like last week, um, I was interviewing. Um, was it last week? I did the students at school. Was that Thursday? Maybe. Yeah, so I went to, you know how I do that thing where I go to the secondary school and interview yeah. them, the ones that want to be dentists or healthcare or whatever. So I had 10 interviews last week in, in the morning of year of year 11. So that year in, in Scottish money, that's like fourth year, right? And uh, <laughs> so they, they turned up, they've been made to do a CV and they've been made to do it to the same format and they've been told it has to be like a page or a page and a half and no more and, and so they've had to do the CV and they have to bring it with them on I'm, I used to get them before and I now get them on the day I've got 20 minutes and five of that's admin to fill out a form at the end so I've got 15 minutes and they hand me a CV when they arrive right so I've got to read that CV while they're in front of me if, if I want 
and interview them for this or whatever. And then, so let me just check. Oh, yes, and then, so for that reason, so I listened to the the, Glad- the Gladwell podcast, mm-hmm. and and he was uh, he was talking about how he just like met the guy in the street who was an accountant, and then yeah, yeah. said, "Oh, you can be an accountant." And so, how did you get the job? So, so the job at Kirkallen. When did you come to Kirkallen? Two, mm. Oh, that's a very good question. 2006? Yeah, I think that's what I remember. Yeah, it was six, I think it was 2006, yeah. And so that's not long before I went to... You've only been there a couple of years then. Yeah. How old were you then? 18. Jesus. And um, so the, tell me about the interview at Kirkhallam. Because you just told so me... Tell, tell me the story you just told me. Right? So my interview was at Great Road. Um, with Andy, you were you were practicing. You were there. You were in surgery time. Um, but we definitely used to refer to the oral surgery contact you, so I knew of you. Um, and I did name drop you in the interview, so I think that got me the job. But have I? So that's what's interesting, isn't it? Because the dance go through like a process in the interview of asking you specific questions, yeah. right? Yeah. And like scoring you and then doing the inverted commas yeah. thing, right? Yeah. And. No, I think, but you think the thing that got you the job was the fact that you knew somebody was already there. Yeah, because I couldn't attend the original interview day because I was working, I couldn't leave. Um, and she'd already offered the job from a nurse that came for the first interview slot, and then she saw me separately. Um, so the job post was originally for Grangewood, um, but she gave me a job at Kirkallen. Because she liked you? Yeah. Because you knew somebody? That worked yeah. there already, which is no qualifying factor, is it? Because you've interviewed a lot of people, I have. haven't you? Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking you, you might be the stage you've interviewed more than me, and, yeah, I said, and I've interviewed a lot, yeah. right? And um, and so so then when you came, so uh, two years later, oh, yeah. two, three years, two, oh nine, yeah, oh nine, right? you came to to the practice I had moved to, which I would yeah. just become a partner at actually. Yeah, That's she had, yeah. Right? So what what was your interview like there? It wasn't really. You already knew me, so there was no real interview. Just I remember spending a long time in the downstairs toilet because you were so impressed by what the toilet was like. Me showing you? Yeah. Oh, just so lame. In the end, that sink was falling off the wall, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, there wasn't really kind of a, there weren't really an interview. Just um, what was expected, really. Yeah. What did you learn um, from your interviews? Because you haven't had a job interview since then. No, so that is like 14 years ago, by yeah. the way. That's like nearly half your life. And um, what did you learn in those interviews that lead you in interviews now? Um, it's all about the person, not um, they're a human. You start with a human being. What is the person like? Not. I'm not really interested in what it says on the CV because that's that's a given that's why you apply for the job because you're able to do the job that you're applying for so I'm not really interested in what's in the CV I'm more interested in the person that's like but of course you're well versed in HR law and um, all the regulations so you're clearly not allowed to interview <laughs> no, that so I better not publish this <laughs> in case it's held against us but obviously they have to have passed that on the CV yeah and there's no um, way that you would like and ever countenance like retrospectively scored in interviews because you really liked somebody oh, who came in the end. Not. That would never happen. Absolutely. Every not. time you've interviewed. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. All right. Because your story of them, um, because I don't get let loose interviewing people very often now <laughs> in our place there, but that, but that is how I interview people, isn't it? By yeah. not interviewing them at all. Yeah. Absolutely. And by just going, 
Um, Tell me about yourself. Well, uh, you know, I've got people that practically came for consultation for yeah. implants and yeah. they ended up being a marketing yeah. or a, a manager in the business yeah. and, and stuff because you just like trust, respect, things like that. And, and, things like. and so the, this whole lottery business of get 10 people to apply and just pick one out of half, mm-hmm. um, it's probably the safest way to appoint somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. Good, thank you. So there is a set of skills that Steve Booth has which allows him to see people in interviews and understand that they know who they are or they know what they want or they have the the deep personal skill set that he needs when he's building his team and he is good at building a team. And I think that set of skills is similar to the set of skills which makes me interview my future managing director in a toilet. Um, and Steve has a name for that. Well, actually, he, he doesn't have a name for that. He has a name for the circumstances that allowed him to develop the skills to be that person who can build a team that's that extraordinary. And so in the second part of his interview, we managed to get to the name he has for that. So what label does your superpower have? The label is dyslexia. The label is dyslexia. The chapter in Malcolm Gladwell's book is titled You Wouldn't Wish Dyslexia on Your Child, or Would You? I read that book when my children were very little, long before the next bit of the discussion that I had with Steve Booth. It's important for me to produce these podcasts because it's important for me, but maybe it's also important for other people to be able to hear it. Steve has three children. His youngest is a girl called Connie. I asked him if any of his children had been diagnosed as dyslexic and what that would be like. If Connie were to be, were to struggle a little bit and to be tested and to be discovered to have a form of dyslexia, what would you say to her? Oof, what would I say to her? I would, I would talk to her about the gift that she'd been given. I would talk to her that there's, there's nothing wrong. I would, and the technology that's now available is huge to help people with this. So I think it's a really good question, Colin, that I've never thought of about. Um, I wouldn't want to make a big issue out of it because that's how it felt for me. And then put support and and, and helping to make sure that they've got the confidence to be who they can be rather than go through some of those battles. But actually some of those battles actually have made me who I am. So in some ways, I'm quite happy I've been through those battles because I don't think I'd be where I am now if I hadn't done that. So I I can't, I I haven't got an answer for that, Colin. I I don't know because I've had it. So so that's a, a, you've stumped me for maybe the first time. No, I don't think, I think you've answered it because I, 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 I'm doing this series because I have to do it for myself, obviously, because, um, because I've told you, and we can, we, two of my children were recently diagnosed as dyslexic, but but the problem, and that's fine, and it's no big deal, and they're no. great, they're, they're healthy, and they're doing brilliantly. And But from my point of view, from as a parent, my, my, my daughter, my youngest daughter, Rosie, struggled really badly in her last two years at school, and she just, 
her numbers didn't add up. She was, they were saying she's worked really hard, she's really committed, and her grades were not good enough. And, and they couldn't give us an answer. And three years before the end of school, we emailed school. We fought with the school where I am a governor. And, and my wife emailed and said, is Rosie dyslexic? And she was not, they never diagnosed and never tested. They never did anything until she'd left school and she went to university. And for Alison and I, I mean, that feels like a horrendous failure of parenting because she got to where she wanted to go, but that's where she wanted to go when she was applying. She might have gone somewhere else. And she, if they had picked her and helped her the way they helped her after we had shouted and fought about it for the last six months. And Rosie, Rosie got five offers for university for physiotherapy which is extraordinary, and she never made her grades. And she still got into her first opera because they loved her so much because she's got an emotional intelligence as a result of her scaffold that other people don't have. But I have to believe that it's a superpower, Steve, because then there's a 40% crossover with siblings, and so Callum was tested and he's 15, and he's profoundly dyslexic too. So, Nancy, we've gone from ADHD screeners to... Managing directors with dyslexia to children who've been diagnosed with dyslexia but who were missed for three years. Um, in the way to try to explain or at least to investigate whether there is something called disagreeability and whether that comes from desirable difficulties. So we have much to talk about, eh? Um, we do. To be continued. We've got lots to talk about. That's why we've got the podcast. See you later, guys.